it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey there, it's the Planet Football Podcast. I am Grant Wall here in Seattle on Monday morning, early around 6 a.m. with Luis Miguel Echegaray back in the New York studio. How are you, my friend? It's an East Coast, West Coast podcast, baby. (laughs) The magic of technology allowing us to do this. Um, We're going to talk about a lot of different things. Uh, Very busy weekend in the world of soccer. Liverpool City. In the Premier League, Liverpool 3, City 1. We'll talk all about that. We're going to talk about Leicester 2, Arsenal 0, and Unai Emery. And you've got some thoughts on Unai Emery as well. Uh, Christian Pulisic continues to score goals. Five and three Premier League games. Chelsea continues to win. We'll talk about that. Obviously, here in Seattle, uh, I'll talk about my experience covering Seattle winning MLS Cup Final, winning its second MLS Cup in the last four years. Great atmosphere here in Seattle. Uh, I want to talk about Robert Lewandowski, uh, who is just out of control right now, scoring goals for Bayern Munich, which won over the weekend 4-0 against Dortmund. Uh, Lionel Messi, more insanity, two great free kick goals. Uh, let's talk about Vlatko Andonovsky's first two games as the U.S. women's national team coach. Unfortunately, another weekly, it seems like, racism incident, this one in Ukraine. But first, let's talk City against Liverpool. 3-1 Liverpool. Huge game here, my friend. What do you think? Oh, my God, man. There's so much talk to talk about in this game. It's, you know, all right, let, let, let's focus first on the action. Right. Let's let's just remove yeah. everything else. We can we can you know dive into that, uh, and everybody knows what we're talking about. You know, VAR, Pep Guardiola, etc. But let's talk specifically about the action and how both these teams came into this game. Um, clearly, one winner here, uh, where Liverpool really lived up to Jurgen Klopp's words. Where Jurgen Klopp, you know, the week prior leading to this game was, "We need to be ready." Every single player needs to be ready. The hot dog salesperson needs to be ready. And he kind of rallied the troops, and that's exactly what you saw. I mean, you've been talking a lot about Fabinho, and rightly so. He was fantastic, obviously, 
with the opening goal against the run of play, you could say, in terms of possession, typical Man City possession, trying to attack, but Liverpool just hitting you on the counter. Um, and, you know, everybody clicked. And, you know, as much as we talk about Sadio Mane, as much as we talk about Mohamed Salah, both scoring goals, this really was about, once again, the fullbacks. And it was about Andy Robertson... Trent Alexander-Arnold, who are just creating a sort of different, upgraded version of the hybrid right back and left back. And the, it's not just about the amount of space they cover, but it's the crossing that obviously is so vital for Liverpool. I'm very intrigued to try and see. I would love to know how much time and obviously it's a lot of time they spend in the training ground just you know doing these kind of you know in action situations it's pinpoint accuracy it's David Beckham-esque and it's just such a vital part of this team and you know I know that we're going to talk about all the other controversies that can go around it but you know when you think about it the overall makeup of this match there was clearly one winner and Liverpool is right now on fire doing the things they know they do well. The uh, the break will hopefully give them time to even get healthier and better. And, you know, I, I hate to jinx anything, but this absolutely looks like a different Liverpool than last season when they were pushing and they had a clear, you know, goal uh, points differential in January. Obviously, uh, they have a nice healthy gap here right now. It's only November, but things are looking good for Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit last week, right? Uh, about Liverpool's fullbacks, how they both get forward with reckless abandon and and great skill, and that is that's the modern game. There, that is a situation where there's not one of these guys who's holding back while the other goes forward. This is just balls to the wall, attacking play, and I love how they pass to each other sometimes. Yeah, uh, it's unbelievable. I would love to see a data description sort of getting into what makes these Liverpool fullbacks unique because I haven't don't think I've seen that quite yet from one of our favorite data analysts uh, and I think that would be a really interesting examination Um, I do have a question for you Fabinho with a terrific goal from distance um, for the first Liverpool goal early but could Claudio Bravo have been better in this game yes Clearly. I mean, the other thing that we were going to talk about, I think, is the fact, let's not forget, this is a Man City that's struggling defensively, definitely centre-back position, and Ederson's absence was big. It was a big. Would he have been done better uh, in in different situations? And it wasn't just even about the Fabinho goal, but the um, the Trent, uh, no, um, yeah, the Trent, the cross that came in for the third. Yeah. Uh, you know, how did Claudio, could Claudio Bravo have come out quicker, cleared out the line? He didn't. He hesitated, waited for his defenders to do something, and it didn't work, and they scored. So, yes, Claudio Bravo did not have a good game. but um, And Ederson is clearly the number one choice here, and he probably could have done a little better. Having said all that, there was just too many things that Liverpool was doing, clicking at the right time, and took advantage of a Manchester City that, even though it was trying so hard to create something really, you know, had nothing against every answer of Liverpool. Claudio Bravo has a tremendous pedigree. His resume is amazing, but he's clearly at this point definitely not a Manchester City starter, and I wouldn't even say a top five starter. Uh, You know, age has just kept up with him. 
Yeah, no, definitely. But here's my question is like as I was watching this, and granted I watch things with a US lens, but like wouldn't Zach Steffen, property of Manchester City, be a better backup for them at least? Maybe like, you know, than than Claudio Bravo at this point. Okay, you know what? Sometimes I'll be like, All right, here we go with the American inclusion. But <laughs> <laughs> But you know what, you're right. This is I mean, think about it. I mean in terms of the philosophy of goalkeeping and coaching and how a manager sees um you know, their goalkeeping roster, the number two is usually the one that's meant to be up there to learn, ready to learn the trade and be ready to step up for the starting position. It happened at Arsenal when uh, Leno came in, you know, just shadowing Czech at the very beginning and now he's the number one. So, you know, if you have somebody like Stefan who's clearly, you know, a, a strong goalkeeper, young, ready to learn, you would think that sooner rather than later he'll come in and take that backup spot. I, I just say that, I mean, like, maybe Stefan himself would prefer to be where he is right now in Germany at Fortuna getting playing time every week. But I do wonder if down the line, like even like next season, if Stefan were to be the backup keeper at City and play in, like, you know, domestic cup tournaments... That wouldn't be a bad thing for I mean, him necessarily. And not a bad thing for City compared to the current situation. Look at Angelino. You know, he was at NYCFC yeah. doing his thing and now he's a fullback star. So let's talk about the controversy you mentioned. Early, you know, ball hitting the hand of uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold in the penalty box. Um, no, no penalty called. Liverpool goes in the other direction on the same phase of play. And scores the first goal of the game. Uh, City's upset. Pep goes insane. Um, I thought that was a penalty. I did too. Listen, it was an outstretched arm outside of the natural position. Yeah. It wasn't intentional, but that doesn't matter anymore with the new law's interpretation. That's not something that anybody can even think about anymore. And it was a handball. Listen, I, I, the problem here is that because of it's, it's just been a volcano that just erupts every weekend because there's always a controversy the weekend prior. So uh, I think it, rather than just, you know, criticizing VAR as a whole, it's more about the inconsistency of it. So if, Trent Ale- if the new rule stipulates that Trent Alexander-Arnold, if, if any defender has his arm outstretched and it's outside of his natural position, his arms are out, extended, outside of that shadow, right? it doesn't matter if it's intentional anymore. Correct. That's the, the new interpretation says that doesn't matter. If it happens, it's a penalty. And it wasn't given, and moments later, Liverpool scored. So, you know, what do you want to say to that? And yet... Uh, I have to remember exactly when, you know, they took a look. I think they VR came in to relook at it after the goal, correct? So it it was a tough one to swallow if you're a Man City fan, for sure. Well, and the way it should have been done, if VAR was operated correctly, is it should have been called a penalty, and the Liverpool goal should have been erased because when you do a VAR review of a goal, as they do every time, if any part of the attacking phase of play, if there was a, a, a foul or, or what have you, that erases the goal. Right. So it, 
I mean, it's a pretty rare situation, right? Where you I, would actually be not just erasing a Liverpool goal, but you'd be giving a penalty to City. And you can't really blame the players because you can't—they can't stop the momentum in the heat of the moment. You know, the, the, it doesn't get cold. Nobody says anything, and then the play just continues. Uh, but on the other hand, there's also this like play until the whistle kind of situation. But it was clearly a penalty. I mean, and this wasn't the only one. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm sure we'll talk about, uh, you know, also the Mohamed Salah. Uh, was he offside or not? Obviously, you know, one can argue in terms of the angles and the line. So there's just so much to diverge. But that Trent Alexander-Arnold situation was big because it was a handball. And it wasn't, nothing was done about it. I, I do want to say, because we, we did get on Bravo a little bit on the third goal. The third goal is incredible no, yeah. by Liverpool. I mean, that Henderson cross with as much pressure as he had in his face to deliver the cross from as wide a position as he did and to put it on a dime. It was amazing. That's why I wanted to say, like, what do they do in training? It's just over, and it, it, it's just, like, it's ridiculous. It was such a beautiful cross, and it's a lot of what Liverpool's all about. What's interesting to, what's interesting to me is that it's not necessarily Man City this past weekend, but many teams that face Liverpool, I think that the number one priority when you face Liverpool is you have to make this game vertical. You cannot allow them to open up, because the moment they open up, they will destroy you, and that's what happened. Now, we got to talk about Pep's behavior here. Yeah, of course. Like, it's it's funny to see the memes, um, but in particular, his handshake with the referees, his ironic thing, what a jackass. I'm sorry. I have so much respect for Pep, but that was a jackass move. I mean, can I just say, like, players get suspended for that stuff. Um, a manager should be equally... You know, held up, uh, you know, in the same situation. It's a, I, you saw the best and worst of Pep Guardiola there. At the very beginning of that uh, sequence, he was shaking every hand of Liverpool players, saying congratulations, mm. and then he waited all the way to go up to Michael Oliver and obviously sarcastically said, "Thank you so much, thank you so much." Um, just reading now that he's not going to be penalized for it, um, and but I just I agree with you. I just think it was it was disgraceful to be honest i understand that in the heat of the moment you know after losing it can be so emotional especially against literally the one team that's challenging you for the title but that's just not good enough you are an experienced well-respected manager and to do that is just sending a terrible message and before we move off from this we spent a lot of time on this game but obviously it's a huge game liverpool is up eight points now in the the title race on Leicester and Chelsea nine points on Manchester City but I'm kind of surprised here to see how many media people are saying the title race is over because last <laughs> I checked it's November 11th oh god do people not do we not learn people do we not learn what I mean I, seriously because it, like I, I went back and on January 3rd of this year, Liverpool had a seven-point lead on City. And if I remember correctly, Liverpool did not win the title. Abs Listen, absolutely. I think if, you're a, if you are a common-sense Liverpool fan, there is no way in this planet that at this point you're thinking we've got this. There's no way. 
Are people trying to jinx Liverpool I think by saying so. this stuff? Yeah, I mean, I saw many people saying, I think this could be Liverpool season, and every every reply was like, stop it. Stop it right now. <laughs> I think people are also forgetting a key thing here. Do you know how crazy busy December is for Liverpool? It's insane. If any, they need to make sure that they stay healthy above anything else and really live up to the marathon because that's literally what happened last season. We're in November. January, yeah. they had a big point lead and they messed it up. And they still have some big games. They still got to go away at Leicester City. They still got to face away at Tottenham. Manchester United is getting better away at Wolves, which is not going to be an easy one. Right? They got, you know, they still got to go to the Etihad to play Man City as well. So, you know, there's still key games here. And not to mention, they still have Champions League competition, the Carabao Cup. The FA Cup. There's still a lot. The Club World Cup they have to go to. There's a lot. They're literally having to split their squad in mid-December. Because so their schedule they is crazy. play in the League Cup and the Club World Cup at the same time. It, so, um, and, and also keep in mind, the seven-point lead that Liverpool had in January on City that they lost and did not win the title. It's not like Liverpool choked. Right. No. It was just, so, you know. People need to get a grip. People need to get a grip. From January 11th, they play Sheffield United uh, the day after New Year's Day. Then it's Tottenham, away at Tottenham. Then it's Manchester United. Then it's away at Wolves. Like, that's not, like, an easy schedule. You know what I mean? So, you know, this is this is key. I'm not, I'm not saying that Liverpool's not winning this, but there is no way that anybody can say this Premier League title is over. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So, moving a little faster here, let's get to the other Premier League stuff. We've got Leicester City 2, Arsenal 0. Deserved win for Leicester. Arsenal reeling. Unai Emery reeling. Is he on his way out? He could be. He could be. I mean, you know, I mean, let's again, let's not forget that what you're seeing at Leicester is it's it's amazing. It's a new it's a oh, new yeah. it's a new renaissance under Brendan Rodgers. This is a fantastic team. Jamie Vardy is the league top scorer. Uh, they have tremendous players. So when these two teams were going at it this weekend, I think obviously you saw Arsenal as the underdog uh, because Leicester City is currently on great form. Now, I remember asking you this off off taping. I believe this week or last week was has Unai Emery improved Arsenal since Arsene Wenger, and the answer was up to this point before this week, and the answer was actually the records are actually even, I believe, but now they're not. Yeah. So the answer is no. Um, but I do want to say one thing about Unai Emery. We have seen in recent weeks how he chooses to speak English uh, without an interpreter. Uh, you know. And apparently reports saying that in training he tries to he wa he wants to be the person that gets his point across. Uh, there might be a lost in translation situation here. Regardless of what you think, if this person needs a translator, if if he needs an interpreter, we are seeing more and more social media attacks and criticism and mockery 
on his language. And that just disgusts me because it was the same thing that was given to Marcelo Bielsa. If you remember last season, he was mocked uh, during a during a press conference. We can have a complete conversation about Unai Emery and his role and whether he should belong as a manager in Arsenal. 1,000%. We can have that conversation. We can even talk about the fact if, that he may need a translator more in order to get his message properly across. We can have that conversation. But when it begins to become this mockery, I, I personally take it too hard because I went through the same thing growing up in England with my dad where you know he would go to the supermarket, try and get his point across, and instead of helping him, people would make fun. So me and my sister would have to stand up for him. And I, I, it just it saddens me that we live in a world right now where when this kind of situation happens, the, the immediate reaction is mock as opposed to how is the club helping him? What is the club doing to help him? Now, we can totally talk about the fact that is he the right manager for, for Arsenal? No, yes, whatever. But if language is an obstacle, is the club doing enough to help him? And that's that's a different topic and conversation. Well, and there's not much for me to say on this except that the people who are complaining about his ability to speak English almost assuredly do not speak a second language themselves. 1,000%, which is what I tweeted this morning. 1,000%. If you're monolingual, sit down. Because <laughs> you have no idea how difficult it is to learn another language and culturally assimilate. Um, Christian Pulisic scores again for Chelsea, um, which beats Palace 2 nothing. And I, I, at this point, it's... <laughs> It's incredible because how, how quickly things can change because here we are just starting uh, an international window again. And just a month ago at that international window, the feeling was that Pulisic was struggling. Mm. <laughs> He's not struggling now. And, and Chelsea's not struggling. This is a team that uh, looks like a top four team. Uh, Sixth straight Premier League win. I still am not going to say Frank Lampard is like handle Pulisic is the reason why Pulisic's doing what he's doing, but Frank Lampard is doing a good job overall, clearly. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is a team that's clicking. This is a team that's playing well. Crystal Palace was resilient, doing the job of frustrating at halftime. It was nil-nil. And then less than 10 minutes after the second half whistle, Tammy Abraham scores, Pulisic, and, you know, another solid win. That's six straight wins in the league. Um, and, you know, but then we still have to talk about the fact that there are obstacles to come. The very first game when they come back from international break is away at Manchester City. Then they'll have Valencia and then, you know, a string of matches. But everything is going well. And in regards to Christian Pulisic, I, I, I just think that it's a 50-50 thing. You can't completely say, yes, Frank Lampard, you are the genius and, you know, whatever. But um, I do think that slowly but surely in training Pulisic and it's natural he literally just joined this team he had to get accustomed to a new league and a new team and a new strategy a new manager with new philosophies and one of the things that Lampard said after the game was like he's doing great and he's incredibly important for us and it's so good that he's listening to me in training and doing his thing and that's got nothing to do with Pulisic and not learning or anything it's he's uh, he, uh, he's understanding the team chemistry better because he's just getting used to his new teammates and now he's you can see the riches of that reward i do remember like at the very beginning when he would was first introduced he would like stay out wide a little longer 
and try and almost play other people in and sort of become a sort of crosser, whereas he's really more of an Aryan Robin, right, where he, like, cuts inside because he has such a lethal right foot. Robin was left foot. He's right foot, but you, you, he's such, he's so good at going inside where he just fakes so many people out. And I think that Lampard and him have been working together to say, do that more often, like include yourself more inside the box, and you can see how it's working. And the fact that he's, you know, five goals in the last three league games is, is really remarkable. Good for him. Yeah, he's already scored more goals than he ever has in a league season. Amazing. Yeah, and so, I, I think there was another stat where, like, him him and, well, I think Mohamed Salah now has uh, uh, surpassed him this weekend, but it was, you know, only f- two players have five goals and five assists so far in this league, and that's Salah and Christian Pulisic. I point out a couple of other things with Pulisic. I think he's better on the left side, start, at least starting on the left side and cutting in from there than when Lampard tried to use him on the right side. Exactly. And that was my um, point about learning. Like, if he's on the left, like, his best thing is, like, Robin. He cuts inside. And even if you know it's coming... He's so quick at it that you can't stop it. And and also, very selfishly here, uh, I'd suggest people check out my book because there's a chapter on Christian Pulisic in there in which, and this is sort of like a, a timeless thing, but about how he approaches the craft of his position. <laughs> and if you read it, you understand how smart Christian Pulisic is about the game, how he sees it, how he sees his role in it, and... Um, I think you can get a, a, a deeper understanding of what's happening with him right now. Um, I do wonder, he did pick up a knock yeah. uh, it, for, with his hip in this game here. And so obviously with the international window and the U.S. playing Friday night against Canada in, in what has turned out to be a game that they're calling must win, um, <laughs> which is crazy. Um, <sighs> I, I wonder if he's going to be in... in a hundred percent condition here to play. I I don't have any updates on Monday morning. I yeah. don't know. Do you? No. I, as we are talking right now, there is no updates on what uh, is going to happen with Pulisic and, and Altidore, for that matter, with uh, the you know the squad for the U.S. Men's Nations League Two matches with uh, Cuba and Canada. And I, I mean, listen, I, I, if, he, if he's not 100%, why would you want to risk him at this point? Especially, I mean, I know that Berhalter has a, this is, this is going to be actually interesting to see where he pulls, whether, you know, he does bring him in, but he may just be on the bench and only need it if it's needed. But, you know, we'll see. Yeah. So, I mean, let's move to, to North America here. And I want to talk the MLS Cup final, but while we're on the topic of this U.S. game, um, I do find it revealing that even U.S. soccer is calling this a must-win game against Canada on Friday night, and obviously that's because the U.S. lost for the first time in 35 years to Canada uh, last month, um, and this Nations League, for what it's worth, uh, the U.S., if it's going to advance, needs to win the group and needs to beat Canada at home in Orlando, and they should. I mean, Canada's certainly better than they used to be. Uh, they have a lot of promising players. But um, my question is, when even U.S. soccer is using the term must win, are they implying that, like, Greg Berhalter is out if this game is not won? I mean, that's exactly what I take from it. I don't know what other people are, but that's exactly what I take from it. I think that that's literally it. You know, there's already pressure about saying, was he the right man for the job, etc. We haven't seen anything 
from the U.S. men's national team that says, have you improved since he took over? If anything, it's been a regression. So this is a must win for that. Imagine if the U.S. doesn't win. Cuba is different. Let's forget it. But Canada, right. that, that, that's, it's a must win. I think so. Imagine if the U.S. doesn't beat Canada at home again. And it's a two nothing or whatever. I'm telling you right now, the pressure for Berhalter to leave will be higher than ever. And I think that's exactly why you know they're saying it's a must win. That's what I take from it. I mean, what I find interesting is that it's U.S. soccer saying this. Obviously, fans are right. saying this, yeah. and fans will want Berhalter out if the U.S. doesn't beat Canada. But my feeling coming into this was that U.S. soccer is so conservative that no matter what happens, I felt like they wouldn't let Berhalter go unless until World Cup qualifying, at least. I just would. It's like you said. I think the moment you use those words, the federation right. uses the words, it's a must win. What what is that implying? And what I took from it was this is pretty much it for you, Berhalter. We need to see results. Which actually adds some stakes to this week's game that we wouldn't ordinarily see. Uh, you did mention Josie Altador. I saw him play in this game coming off the bench. First time he played in a long time. How did he look? He's not ready. No. He's not. And I know he scored a, get a goal late in this game, but he wasn't at full speed. Um, it's unfortunate because I think had uh, had Toronto had a full-strength Josie Altador, this could have been a different game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, would have been a different game potentially. And and yet, Seattle deserves a ton of credit for winning its second MLS Cup title, beating Toronto 3-1. Um, strange game. Uh, great atmosphere here in Seattle. Nearly 70,000. Biggest crowd ever for a sporting event at CenturyLink Field. Uh, just was a really cool place to be. Felt a little bit like being in Atlanta last year for... Atlanta's MLS Cup final victory. But um, it was strange in the sense of how much possession Toronto had in this game. They dominated yeah. possession. It was it was almost 70%. And especially in the first half, it was Toronto controlled the game, and yet they really didn't produce as much time as they spent with the ball in the attacking half, they didn't produce that many great chances. And in Seattle held firm on the back line, Torres and Kim were, were really solid. I thought, and then in the second half, Seattle started to click on the counter and that's when things changed. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, really nice piece. Great piece from you after the game. Recommend everybody reads Thanks. it. Um, it. It was scoreless for 58 minutes. Yeah, <laughs> and there were moments I, I deleted the tweet I don't know why but I I, I remember say, like tweeting it, this is in Seattle this game right because it, it, it felt like Toronto and many times of the game was the home team taking it to to the Sounders and you know full credit to Greg Vanny to just you know especially when you don't have Josie Altador to just go at it and there were some moments where Canada Canada uh Toronto really should have taken advantage of that situation, but uh, and the first goal, you know, came against the run of play again because, like you said, more possession for Toronto. I thought Benazé some, had some good uh, moments to try and score, but you know, eventually 
the Nicolodero show came and uh, Rudias and Jordan Morris, who was just working so hard. This this team just came together to to get the win. But I was very surprised that it took that long because Toronto really was dominating for for the majority of the time. Yeah, and and Pozuelo is just a terrific player. I oh, I really enjoyed player. seeing him in person, and I the Michael Bradley situation was so crazy where he had an individual bonus of a $6.5 million contract on the line in this game for next season if they won the game. Mm. And he was great. (laughs) That's almost like a reality show. It makes me wonder if, like, like this should happen more often in the sport where, like, a player has some giant individual bonus (laughs) based on how his team does. Um, He was fantastic, especially in the first half. Oh my God, he was fantastic. And that and one of the things that we said was one of the key things for Michael Bradley in this team is that he protects the center backs. Like he becomes that sort of extra addition, like that, uh, you know, whoa in front of uh, Gonzalez and Mavinga. And he did that. He did such a good job at that. Um, it, and like you said, maybe more players should get that incentive because he played like he was 10 years younger. I, the thing about it is Michael Bradley plays like his, as I think I wrote, like his hair's on fire if he had hair <laughs> all the time anyway. But like to add this bonus situation, um, he really was everywhere. And um, and I, I expect he'll come back next season on a lower number. Yeah. Um, but that will be a storyline to watch in the offseason because he still has a, a real role, a big role to play in this league and he'll be wanted by teams, uh, including Toronto, I think. Yeah. Um, Special mention to Raul Ruiz the first Peruvian to win MLS Cup. That goal was typical Ruiz by the way. They, we call him La Pulguita, the flea, because he just he's five seven. Doesn't matter if you're going up against somebody that's six three, he will be in your face. And it was a good finish. It was, and, and I want to say something about Nicolas Ladero. Um, some people would probably rightly point out that he's had a bigger impact on other games this year. Um, and yet he did create more chances on goal than any player on the field in this game. And his pass on the second goal to Victor Rodriguez while falling down with two Toronto players draped on him was an a- absolute thing of beauty. Yeah. You said in your piece that, you know, he's, he's a very, he's a pure number 10 and I totally agree. He's just, uh, everything that, you know, for the young listeners, they should just watch tape of. Juan Roman Riquelme, and I'm not saying lo de los Juan Roman Riquelme, but it's that essence of that playmaker that just sees the game differently than anybody, and that's what Lodeiro does. Well, we say when we say that a pure number ten is is really rare in the game today. I think we really mean it. I no, mean, how it's really many rare. players out there can you think of right now who are more of a pure number ten anywhere? Including MLS, the Nicholas Ladero. No, there, it's 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 hard to find for sure. I mean, I I just think he's totally underrated. I th- I think he's a treasure in this league, and and I look at I did a story on Garth Lagerway leading up to the game. He's the GM for Seattle, um, who put together this team. And I asked Garth, I was like, so what's been the hardest part of your job? And he's like, moving on from players. Hmm. And you look at the players that he's moved on from here, Clint Dempsey, Ozzy Alonzo, Brad Evans, Zach Scott, guys who, as Lagerway himself put it, are on the all-time best 11 for Seattle. And fans here weren't happy. 
when he moved on from those players. Mm. But the team that he has built in their place is better. Yeah. And it wins championships. And when you've got Rui Diaz and when you've got Ludero and you've got all these TAM guys that Seattle has brought in and you got Brian Schmetzer coaching them. And I, I just feel like I, I, I think dynasty is too strong a word right now to describe these Sounders. But I think we are talking about something close to the Sounders era in this era of MLS. Yep, they're on their way. And I think they're a lesson as well for, you know, as much as we talk about your Slatan Ibrahimoviches and your Wayne Rooney's, you know, maybe the way to go is you know, the Seattle platform is just as effective where you have these players that have clear talent, undiscovered talent. I mean, Rudias came from Liga MX, you know, and like you said, all these time players and, you know, coached by by a, a somebody that really knows North American soccer so well, you know, it's 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 an important lesson for sure. I just I just feel like and this is something that you really observe when you talk to people like I did this week with the Seattle Sounders. We talk about Manchester United, which is obviously on a different level, but like how Man United has yet to figure out modern soccer and get a director of football in there and like seattle is that situation they are modern soccer they have a they have really good people really talented people all over this organization doing very particular jobs Mm. and doing and doing them in concert together and this is the result and by the way, like the the atmosphere was great, a lot of people, but that's not an anomaly. Like you, you go through the season <laughs> with a Seattle Sounders home game, and the the atmosphere is just as good. Yeah, no, I mean this is it feels major league here. It doesn't like MLS doesn't feel major league in every city in the league, but it definitely does here. And uh, they're they're deserving champions. It's just very very impressive. Um, Let's move briefly back to the continent because I want to talk about Robert Lewandowski and two more goals against Dortmund this weekend. Bayern wins for nothing. Looks like a team that uh, suddenly has a lot more stability after firing their coach in the last week. Yeah. Um, Which always happens. (laughs) This is such a trend. Like, you know, all that was needed was a new face. And it's obviously that's unfair on Kovac. But yeah, I mean, I'm glad that I was wrong because I said, you know, a nil-nil maybe. But I mean, what was I thinking with Robert Lewandowski, who is just, I I mean, we say it every week. He's the best number nine in the world. And just like we talk about Messi and... Ronaldo, and we're so lucky to have him. The same can be said of Lovendowski. I mean, he's on course. I don't know if it's going to happen, but could he break, you know, Muller's 40 goals in a single season record in the Bundesliga? I mean, look at what he's doing right now. He has 16 goals in 11 Bundesliga games. It's he ridiculous. scored in every Bundesliga game. He has scored in every Champions League game, all four games, six goals in four Champions League games. Um and I, I'm at a point where I'm actually going to make a request that we put to bed the 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 point that he's the best striker in the world as if like that's some sort of surprise at this point. Yeah, like, it's there's some sort of debate. There's no debate. Yeah, it's not a hot take. It's not a nice piece. It's it's, it's a fact. Robert Lewandowski is the best striker in the world. It's incredible. Like, I, 
I, 23 goals in 18 games so far this season. Um, the only games in which Robert Lewandowski has not scored this year or this season are he came on as a sub against Bochum in the German Cup <laughs> and didn't score. How dare you? How dare and, you not score Lewandowski? <laughs> what is wrong with you? And so give Bochum some credit, but he did come on as a sub in that game. He's the first. And, keep going, sorry. And he did not score in the German Super Cup against Dortmund. And that's it. Yeah, he's awful. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's the first to score in 11 consecutive Bundesliga matches, the first to score in six consecutive Classicers in the Bundesliga, the first to score in six consecutive home matches for Bayern Munich against Borussia Dortmund, and he's the all-time scorer uh, in their Classicer with 16 goals. That's his record from this weekend. And, I, you know, Müller scored 40 in a single season in the Bundesliga. We are in November, and he is well on his way to that. Please stay healthy. What a player. Yeah, insane. Um, Lionel Messi... Two more free kick goals oh, for Barcelona. God. I mean, at this point, just can you just have two goalkeepers? Is that allowed? Like, just have, <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous. You know what's coming. You know what's coming. You know that he's going to bend it, and it's going if he's taking it, and it's from the right hand side of outside the box. The ball's going to invert, heading towards the top right. You know it's coming, and you cannot stop it. It's unbelievable. I tweeted like, uh, young players should really pay attention to his right foot when he takes a free kick because he, he plants it and places it in a really interesting place and that's part of the foundation of everything that happens. Again, I mentioned Beckham earlier in the podcast, like it's the same thing, obviously from the other side, but my goodness, what a free kick. <laughs> I would love to have a discussion with Lionel Messi about... Anything, really. I mean, I'll, <laughs> yeah, I'll true, talk to him about just... The Bachelor. I don't care. Like, I just want to sit with him. <laughs> I, I would love to have a discussion with him about his work on free kicks over the years because this is the result of hard work. It's not just something that he woke up one day and suddenly was Harry Potter on on free kicks. Oh, no, no, no. Like, he, he stays longer in training for doing it. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we're about to give away a good pitch here, but how cool would it be to just do this you know, S short I mean, documentary of just him watching what he does. Um, but here, but here's the problem: having interviewed Lionel Messi, mm. I would say Jones. that your chances of actually getting him to talk about all the details about all the work he's done on free kicks probably not happening. Yeah, it's not. It's not happening. <laughs> it's not happening at all. <laughs> He'll be like, "Yeah, yeah, I can't talk about it." <laughs> <laughs> um, also in Europe, uh, a crazy. This, you know, dismaying situation in Ukraine. Uh, the Brazilian player Tyson sent off. Ugh. Sent off. He was sent off. Yep. After another incident of racism in a game where, like Mario Balotelli last week, he kicks the ball into the stands. Unlike Mario Balotelli, gets sent off by the referee. Um, like. And by How the way, FAIR, Football Against Racism in Europe, said that the, his, his teammate, Dantinia, reported the abuse to the referee. And he subsequently activated step one and two of the protocol. Mm -hmm. but, but yet you, you, you send him off? Like, are you, and, and Tyson and Dantinia were left in, in tears. What is yeah. happening every weekend now? Like, 
how close are we to like like players going on strike? How close are we to um to something really like that needs to happen at this point since nobody seems to take this seriously enough in positions of authority? Like hmm. you know, like what if what if soccer around Europe shut down or soccer around the world shut down for a week? Yeah. In protest of this or longer. I'm serious. Like it, it's I agree. I said let's suspend Serie A after what happened last week. Like it's I, I, I don't know how close we are, but there's a path, and we're halfway there at least. It's ridiculous. It's every weekend. It's unreal. Um, moving on, because I, I, yeah, um, Vladko Andonovsky, no, no easy transition here, but he had his first two games as the U.S. Women's National Team coach. 3-2 victory versus Sweden, 6-0 win against Costa Rica. And I don't think anyone's going to necessarily remember these two games for a long time. Right. But the storyline to me here is Carly Lloyd. Yep. And she gets the start in both games, plays at center forward. Alex Morgan obviously is pregnant, is going to be out for several months. And before the coaching decision was announced Carly Lloyd had been saying I'm going to wait and see who the coach is we'll see if my national team career keeps going and she came ready to play yeah I mean and, it was one of the topics that we talked about go ahead yeah I, I I just I you have to think by he by him giving her this chance by her taking this chance by her scoring goals um we could. This could be Carly Lloyd's revival under the new coach, and she could be. She can be the best U.S. player. One thousand percent. And I've been criticized on Twitter for saying one thousand percent. I'm going to say it. One thousand percent. One thousand percent. Listen, that's one of the topics that we talked about. Um, just when Andonovsky came in, one of the you know subjects. What are some of the things he's going to have to worry about? outside of the Olympics, et cetera. To me, Carly Lloyd was the biggest piece of homework he had to do. How much was she willing to, you know, show? And clearly, I mean, like you said, it's not like we're going to remember these two matches, but my goodness, uh, Carly Lloyd is making quite a point saying, I'm not going anywhere. And, you know, it's good to see. Yeah. And look, it's a great story. She's she's one of the best players in the history of the U.S. Women's National Team, two-time World Player of the Year. If she can continue doing this, and I think she's capable of it, that would just be uh, a fantastic storyline. Um, other storylines, um, debuts made by uh, Alana Cook, uh, debut made by Midge Purse. Uh, the players seem to really like Vlatko Andonovsky. The young players, the veterans, um, this is a real honeymoon period here. And he doesn't, like, he's not going to have too many tough games for a while. I mean, the Sweden game was interesting because the U.S. went up 3 nothing and then gave up two goals in the second half against a good Sweden team. Yeah. Um, but he's going to, like, he doesn't have a ton of time to get ready for the Olympics, but it's not like the CONCACAF qualifying tournament should be a real challenge. And, um. I, I'm just intrigued by what Andonovsky's going to do here. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, 
I'm just reading here a Carly Lloyd quote uh, just about the way that he handles himself, how he's he has like this aura about him. He says, I've heard so many good things. This is Carly Lloyd talking. I've heard so many good things about him, Andonovsky, from so many different players. And now I know why. It's just an aura that he has about him. He's calm. He's collected. And he just wants to make this team better. And he wants this team to be playing good soccer. He's a perfectionist. And he's a realist in many ways. And I think that's going to be the interesting thing. Where We know how good this team is. They're the World Cup winning champions arguably the best u.s women's squad ever and but this is a manager that wants more <laughs> and wants to see perfection and uh you know the it's easy to to just take away a blueprint from just two matches but like you said i think this has been uh, we're in a honeymoon period but it was the, at this point it looks like this is the right appointment and the one that can take the u.s women's amazingly enough to another level yeah, it's also interesting because it's the start of Andonovsky's tenure, but it's also, I think, a well-deserved rest that the women's soccer players and the national team are going to get now because it's been a really long year. It's been a long NWSL season. Uh, these players are gassed, and then things get started up again in 2020. It's an Olympic year, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to covering this team again yeah. uh, in, in 2020. Yep. Well rested and enjoy your break, U.S. Women's National Team. You deserve it. Yep. And that's it for this week's episode. I got to get to the airport here in Seattle. You got to get to work on Monday morning. It is, as always, an absolute pleasure speaking to you, my friend. You too, buddy. Have a great week, everybody. 